to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4 is where we'll be focusing our attention for this part of our worship. 1 Peter chapter 4. Good to see you here this morning. We have a number of visitors and we want you to know that we're really glad that you're here, that you've joined us for our worship and that you're here. And this is the time of our worship that we're going to open the Bible and to learn from what God says in the Bible, see things that can be relevant to our lives and how God wants us to live as we try to live as Christians. We're thankful that you're here. We'd love to get to know you and help you in any way that we can. I also wanted to mention uh, to our members to remind everyone that our Bible Workshop weekend is next weekend. Not this weekend, but next weekend. So this uh, Friday, a week from Friday, we will be beginning that. And I know that, as I was thinking about that, I know that some of our members have joined us and have not been here during a time when we've had a Bible Workshop weekend. So I thought it might be good to go over a little bit what that is. The Bible Workshop weekend is a special event that this congregation puts on that is targeted to have a day of really intense study for young people. And by young people, we're talking about middle school to about age 25 or so, although there are some fuzzy edges on that. And that day is going to be on Saturday, a week from this coming Saturday. So that will be March the 10th. And before we do that, though, on Friday night, every Bible workshop weekend, we like to have a singing here at the building, and everyone is invited to the singing. You don't have to be young. You don't have to be old. Everyone's invited. You can be in either category or somewhere in between. And uh, that is just a wonderful time where we all get together and just have a singing, and that will be next Friday night. So we'd love for everyone who is able to come and be a part of that singing. It'll be a wonderful time for you next Friday night. And then the brother who is coming to lead our workshop is Brother Phil Robertson from Gainesville, Florida, and he will be here on the following Sunday, which will be two weeks from today, and he'll be preaching for us uh, two times that Sunday in our assembly period and in our regular worship hours. So looking forward to that, wanted to remind you about that so that if you have not made plans, that you can be sure you don't make plans. If you have made plans, you can cancel them and be here for the Bible Workshop weekend. But a lot of effort has gone into that, and it's something that's a very exciting thing for us, and so I wanted to remind everyone about that. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 7. 1 Peter 4 and verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks... As one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Peter is sketching out Christian priorities, and he reminds us that the end of all things is at hand in verse 7. And because we are near the end, and Christians are always living near the end, and because we live near the end, there are certain things that we leave off. That's the things he talked about, for example, in verses 2 and 3. Things that enough of our time has been spent in. The evil things, the will of the Gentiles. And there are things not only to leave off, but there are things that we must maintain. And so there are a list of priorities here that he says, because the end is near, we must live in a Christian way. When someone gives us their dying words or their last word speech, we pay attention to those things. In the Bible, when you see the word finally... 
it makes you pay attention and perk up because we assume that if someone is going to choose to say something as their last words, then those last words will be particularly powerful and important. And so what Peter does in this last section is to say, these are the things that it means to be a Christian. And they are things that we cannot lose the heart of just because things are maybe difficult in the time in which we live. And so he talks about things like being self-controlled and sober-minded in verse 7. In verse 8, he talks about keeping loving one another because love covers a multitude of sins. In verse 9, he talks about hospitality without grumbling. And in verse 10, he talks about ministering to one another the gifts that God has given to us. These are the heart of being a Christian. But in particular, I want to take some time this morning... And I want to dig down a bit. I want to mine into one of these statements. And it's in verse 9, where Peter says, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. This is a verse that I believe speaks to our time. It is a verse that speaks of the priority of welcoming and love. It tells us what Christian community should look like. And it challenges us by that against the ethic of our culture. What I want to do is take a minute and talk about Verse 9, how we can show hospitality without grumbling. But isn't it interesting that as he talks about hospitality, he introduces that idea of grumbling. Why would hospitality lead to grumbling? So let's take a moment and just think through this passage. We're just going to talk about hospitality without grumbling this morning. And the first thing I want to say about hospitality is that hospitality combines the idea of welcome and provision. So verse 9 says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Hospitality is a word that needs some definition for us. The word literally means love of strangers. And it is a priority in the ancient Near East. It is a priority pretty much everywhere, but particularly in the Jewish culture. It was expected in ancient times that people would help take care of strangers who had come into their land particularly people who needed a place to stay. And so they would protect and provide. They would welcome someone. And so very often in the Old Testament, you see examples of this. You see Abraham, who actually shows hospitality to God in the form of those three people who come to visit him. And those three people who then go into the city of Sodom. And where do they go? They go to the house of Lot, who also takes them in. Hospitality is a part of the Old Testament record. And that expectation is continued in the New Testament. This is Hebrews 13 and verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. That might be a reference to Abraham, who saw these men, took them in, fed them, took care of them, and actually it was God speaking through him, and there were angels there who went into the city of Sodom. But it is a promise of a blessing that comes to those who will show hospitality. Some, he says, have done more than they even realize. They have entertained angels without realizing it. But there is something, too, about hospitality in the climate of the New Testament. Because in the New Testament, hospitality is essential to the spread of the gospel. That happens when Jesus sends out the twelve on what we sometimes call the limited commission. And he says, you don't take any money because you're going to stay with people. And so the gospel very much spreads on the back of hospitable people. People who take the apostles in and let them stay with them while they work in a city teaching. And that doesn't end at that point. Jesus himself enjoys the hospitality of others. And then when Paul goes out preaching, 
after he baptizes Lydia, the first thing that is said of Lydia is, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. When Paul and Silas are in the jail in Philippi, the jailer takes them out and takes them to his home and puts food before them. And he rejoices that he had believed in God with all his household. So there is this tight relationship between hospitality and the spread of the gospel in the New Testament. And so, when you see statements like these, this is 3 John verses 5 and 6, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified of your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. What John is referring to is people who we might call traveling evangelists, who are going around preaching... And so they would come somewhere, and they didn't have any place to stay. They didn't know anyone there, and Christians would take them in. And he says, this is a faithful thing you do, and you do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. That was an essential part of the spread of the gospel. Now, this is after the warning of 2 John about deceivers. And you remember what is said about deceivers. He says, do not greet them or receive them into your house. It's the same idea. Don't show hospitality to them when they're not preaching the true gospel. But Jesus also says that this is important to him. You remember this in Matthew 25 when when he describes the judgment scene as the sheep and the goats. And he says to the sheep, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. That idea of being a stranger is the idea of hospitality. Showing kindness to people we don't know. So... Jesus sees this as parallel to these ideas of of provision, hungry and food, thirsty and drink. But he also shows the idea of welcoming. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. So when you read the word hospitality, I want you to get the feel that hospitality combines welcome and provision. That is, we open our heart and our life and our home to someone else, to benefit them, to help them, to take care of them. Now, that might be food or lodging, some essential need, but there is also this component of welcoming, that they are people who are to feel safe with us. In fact, very often in the ancient world, it had the idea of protection. You remember how Lot has to try to protect the angels who have come under his roof from the men who are trying to beat down the door. People should feel safe with us. They belong with us. They are welcome. 1 Peter 4 and verse 9, look at it again. 1 Peter 4 and verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now what's interesting about that is having studied and thought about what we've just mentioned about hospitality in the Bible, he says show hospitality to one another. Show the love of strangers, he says, to your brothers who are not strangers. To one another, to those who are your brethren who you know well. In other words, he is saying, treat your brothers like you would treat a stranger, but in the good way. You know, if we were to see a stranger who had some need, we would happily meet the need and say, you know what, you're in need, I'll take care of you. But but isn't it more difficult when that need is an ongoing need and it comes up again and again and again? Isn't it a little easier to help the stranger who you know you'll never see again than to help the brother who is continually needing? That's what he is saying. He is saying, show hospitality, treat them that way, with that warm welcome all of the time. 
And one of the most powerful ways we do that is to open up our homes to one another. I am not saying that hospitality can only happen in a house. That is not my point at all. But there is something about a home that is so very personal that when we see one another and we deal with one another in a different setting, at a, at a building, in a restaurant, it's a little bit different than having someone see the couch where I watch TV. Having someone see the dirt that sometimes gets on the floor or the place where my dog sleeps. It's a little different, isn't it? And when we invite people into our private places, we share something that may be missing in those other scenes. And we open ourselves up and are vulnerable in a different way. There is a different level of welcome that happens in a home. So Peter is saying then, if the end of all things is at hand, let your brethren into your life. We are going to have situations. We are going to have circumstances where we involve ourselves with people who are not Christians. And we're going to build our lives and we're going to have those relationships and dynamics with people who are not Christians. Don't forget in all of the hubbub of your life, in all of the things that you're concerned about, don't forget to develop your relationships with your brothers and sisters. That's what he is saying. Show hospitality to them. Do kindness to them. Welcome them. Provide for them. Meet their needs. Let them be a part of your life. And this needs to be said, especially in our culture. We need to welcome and to provide and to keep in touch with one another and to beware the tendency to get so wrapped up in our own lives that we lose touch with the body of Christ. That needs to be said because that's a Bible priority for the people of God. Now, here is the part where I have to tell you that that is a struggle for me because for me... I was raised in a way that such occasions where I would have people over or even when I would interact with my brethren were very, very formal. As in, there needed to be very formal invitations and we needed to get the house very, very clean. And then there was a time when you needed to go. And that was the way that I was brought up, not only in my family, but that's just sort of the culture in which I was raised. And, and some of that's fine, but the danger there is completely missing God's expectation of a tight-knit community that can preserve Christian lifestyle in the face of a hostile world. That's what Peter is after, and that's the priority we need because hospitality combines both of those ideas, the welcome that we're all seeking and the provision that we sometimes need. Now, 1 Peter 4 and verse 9 then says, 1 Peter 4 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And I want to talk a little bit about grumbling now because what... What I see in grumbling here is that grumbling reveals ulterior motives. The word grumbling means complaining. It's the word that's used to describe the Israelites in the desert. You remember the Israelites followed God, but they really let God hear about it, didn't they? You know, there's no water here. There's no food here. Oh, you got manna, but there's no meat here. Boy, I wish we were in Egypt. I'm sure I'm tired of Moses. Now we can't take the land over and over again. They complained. They grumbled even as they followed God. And of course, that angered God. 
And it got them into a lot of trouble. God doesn't want his people to be complainers. In fact, one of the things that is a marker of how God's people are to be a light to the world, are to convince the world of the difference between God's people and worldly people is the fact that we don't complain. This is Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So the picture of shining as lights in the world in this text is centered around the idea of not grumbling or arguing, disputing. That God's children are not to be complainers and not to be argumentative. And when we do that, it shows us as different from worldly people. So, grumbling then is a problem biblically. But what Peter is talking about is not grumbling just generally. He is talking about a link between hospitality and grumbling. Be hospitable to one another without Grumbling, as if something in the hospitality is going to produce grumbling. So why would we connect that? Why would we complain about hospitality? Well, it's true, sometimes the nature of sacrificial work can wear us out. If you've ever done work of service very long, you know that before too long, you've got nothing left to give. And so it can very easily still, there still be demands on you even after you've run out of energy and time. And so the natural response is to say, oh, not again. Do we have to do this again? And so there can be grumbling from that. Now I understand there is some weariness to the idea of service. Jesus himself had to withdraw just to pray. And he told his disciples, come over here and rest when they were in the middle of their serving in his ministry. And sometimes we might complain just out of sheer weariness. But I think there is something deeper going on. And why I say grumbling reveals ulterior motives is I don't think Peter is just telling us to watch our mouths. He is saying that in some way grumbling will invalidate our act of service. I don't think I really need to prove that. If somebody does something kind for you and then immediately complains about it, how do you feel? Here, come over to my house. Oh, I can't believe you're here. How do you feel? You certainly don't feel as if they've done something kind for you out of the warmth of their heart. It invalidates the good work. But why is it so galling? Why would we be so frustrated when somebody complained about their act of service? It is because it reveals ulterior motives to the service. They are not doing what they're doing because they love me. They're not doing what they're doing because they want to take care of me. They're doing what they're doing because they're being forced to do it. And the way I know it is they're complaining about it. So grumbling reveals that there's something else, an insight into our hearts. And so what I want to do is just remind you of a principle that is true of hospitality and it is true of everything we do as Christians. And it is this principle. Christian works are done freely. They are done freely. See, when we grumble, it implies that what I'm doing, I'm not doing because I choose it. I'm doing because I have to do it. Maybe I wish I was doing something else. Maybe I'm just worn out. 
But whatever it is, I'm only doing this because I have to. Otherwise, I would be happy, not complaining. And Christian works are not that way. We don't do the works we do as Christians because we're forced to do them. And I want to take you a minute to show you what that looks like in the record of the Bible. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians 9. Second Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 5. This is as Paul is talking to the church in Corinth about the collection that he is taking to help needy saints in the church in Jerusalem. Second Corinthians 9 and verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So he says, I want you to prepare your gift ahead of time so that when I come, you're not suddenly surprised and frustrated and feel like you have to give, that it would be an exaction, that it would be under compulsion. That's not the way he wants them to give. He wants them to give, as he says in verse 7, cheerfully. God loves a cheerful giver. And a cheerful giver is the exact opposite of a complaining giver. A cheerful giver is the opposite of a complaining giver. Christian works, our giving is done freely. It's not done because we must. It's done because we want. And the difference in that is the exact same difference that Peter is talking about with hospitality without grumbling. Hospitality that's from the heart. And sometimes when we talk about our giving, we say it is a free will offering. And that idea has a long history in the Jewish system. This is David's statement in 1 Chronicles 29 and verse 17. He says, I know my God that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. Do you hear that? They are cheerful givers. We are freely offering this, not because we have to. And that is how the temple and the tabernacle are financed. They're financed through free will offerings of the people. They longed to give this to God. So there was no resentment. Oh, no, I gave too much. Well, you should have given what you were free to give. There's no grumbling about that. Why do I have to give this? You don't have to give. It's free. It's up to you. And so when we do works as Christians, when we do giving as Christians, whether that's giving that's done to the local church or that's giving that's done to help someone, we need to remember God loves a cheerful giver, one that wants to give, not one that feels he has to. It's not about compulsion. Christian works are done freely. Let's go to Philemon, the book of Philemon. There is a great example here of the difference between compulsion and free giving in the book of Philemon. I want to read Philemon in verse 13. Now, if you remember the story of Philemon, Philemon's slave Onesimus has run away. He's come to Paul. Paul has found him, and 
He has become a Christian through Paul's teaching. And Paul could have helped him, could have held him there to help him, but instead he sends him back to Onesimus with this letter. Philemon in verse 13 says, Philemon 13, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. Do you see the difference? I could have held on to him and just made you do it because you didn't really have a choice. But instead, I'm going to send him back to you so that if you want to do this, you can choose to do it. But it wouldn't be a forced thing. It's not under compulsion. And there is all the world of difference between something that I have no choice in and something that I choose to do. That is what Paul is saying to Philemon. In fact, he even says that in verse 8. Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I could make you do it, he says, but instead I'm going to ask you to do it. Christian works are done freely. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter 5, right near where we have been working in 1 Peter 4. In 1 Peter 5, this is where Paul, I'm sorry, Peter addresses elders. 1 Peter 5 and verse 2, he says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Now, first of all, he says in verse 2, that elders are to exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. That means that elders don't do what they do because they're forced to do it. They do what they do because they are choosing to do it. It is a free choice. Christian works are done freely. And then there is also the idea that as elders serve freely, they are to lead the flock. And the flock then is a flock, by the way. It is not a herd. You don't drive them. You don't whip them. They are sheep. You lead them. And so they follow willingly. That's verse 3, not domineering those over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So you don't force them. Because when force enters the picture, it changes the dynamic. No, this is about leading so that they willingly follow. So the idea is that just as an elder serves the Lord freely, so he calls on the flock to follow him freely. It's all freely done because Christian works are done freely. When we introduce coercion, it changes the nature of the work. If we do it because we're forced, it means it does not come from within. And when we complain about something, hear me, brethren, when we complain about something, it means we're being forced to do it. It's not something that comes from my heart because I want to. Because I'm not going to complain about what I already want to do. So, where does that leave us? Our world is aching for a community of people where they can be loved and belong. Our world is aching for people who will show kindness to them and acceptance that is what we are called to be 
a community like that that will show that belonging, that welcome and provision. Now, sometimes those needs are going to come from strangers, people who are not Christians. And we need to be prepared for that idea to be welcoming and to be kind and to share our hearts and lives with people who are not Christians because they are looking for the very thing that we are. And we should provide and see that as a way to let our light shine to them. But the focus of 1 Peter 4.9, the focus of our idea of showing hospitality to one another, is not about those outside. It is about Christians showing hospitality to Christians, to continue to invite each other into our lives, into our homes, into our social plans, into our hopes and dreams, Who are we? What are we struggling with? What's going on in our lives? That is the call of 1 Peter 4, 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. But as we do that, we need to remember that if we complain about the burden that that puts on us, if we express dissatisfaction with that component of the work, we're saying more than we might realize. We're saying, I don't want to do this, but I feel like I have to. Can I add this? Can we drop the uh, mentality, sometimes heard expressed by a question, do I have to do this? Do I have to go over here? Do I have to be here for this service? Do I have to, do I have to, do I have to? Christian works are done freely. We are an all-volunteer army. There's not some secret place where we keep the thing that forces everybody to do God's will. We're here because we choose to be here. And our service to, to Christ will always only be limited by what we choose to do. Christian works are done freely. So, if that's the case, let's choose to do what we want to do to help our brothers and sisters. Let's want instead to be the kind of people who shares our lives together. Let's want to serve the Lord. Let's want to be together. And then the complaining won't be a problem. Would you pray with me about that? Our God and Father, we are so thankful to you. You have been so good to us. You've taken us out of our sins. You've made us clean by the blood of your Son. You've sacrificed him so that we could have hope of living with you forever. Father, we could never repay that. And Father, we will never be worthy of that. And yet we're so thankful because you have been so good to us. And Father, in our gratitude, sometimes we we forget what's important and we lean on you and we look to you for our priorities. And Father, as we've studied and as we've thought about, I pray that you'll help us to be a hospitable people, people who show kindness to one another that is from the heart and sincere a people who want to know one another and blend lives together so that we can help each other and build each other up and become closer to you and become the community that you want us to be. I ask your blessings on this local church. I ask your blessings on each family, on each one of us. And Father, I ask that you'll help us to be the kind of people you've called us to be. Thank you so much for your love. Help us to keep it in the forefront of our minds as we begin to try to show it to others. This is our prayer in Jesus' name.
Amen. Might be someone here this morning who needs to obey the gospel and is ready to become the kind of person that we've talked about this morning, the kind of person who is like Jesus, who follows Jesus, who tries to do the will of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. And if you're ready to begin that journey by turning away from your sins and being baptized into Christ, having those sins washed away, we would love to help you to start that. If there is any need that you have, please come to the front right now as we stand and sing to encourage you.